Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. This week, we're going to be talking about vision. I, vision Sunday is always a, a exciting Sunday for me, and believe it or not, uh, it's, it's always one that's hard for me to write about and even think about. Uh, Steve always jokes, and he's like, do you bleed leadership and vision? How is this hard? I'm like, it's hard to put it on paper. It's just something I do. And so um, I'm excited about this morning because I, I believe God has just done so much in our church. And as I look back throughout the years of how we've kept uh, this vision, but also how we've made it thus far, he's been good to us. He's been good. And so this morning, I want to talk about vision. I do this a couple times a year where I bring us back to who we are as a church, where we desire to be a church that is a gospel-centered church in the heart of the city, where we seek the welfare of the city, where this is built upon three pillars, as I like to call it, that are rhythmic and an endemic of every believer. We want to renew, rebuild, and release people for the work of Jesus Christ in the city. We want to impact the city and ultimately the world. Uh, we want to be so for the city where if God saw fit to remove us from the city for some reason and took renewal out of the city, the city of Chicago would miss us because we love this city so well. We were for the city, not just the church that's in the city, but for the city. And on top of that, we want people, as you step inside of our church, as you take a seat, as you invite people in here, no matter where you're from or who you are, You have a gospel experience so rich, whether that's through the worship or through my preaching or someone else's preaching, that that the gospel experience would be so rich that wherever you go, whether it's across the world or in your backyard or talking to your neighbor, you'll be able to tell somebody about the goodness of Jesus because of what you've experienced at Renewal. We want people to know what Jesus has done in and through their life when they leave this place. Now, I know some of you are probably sitting there and you're saying, well, why we got to talk about vision, Pastor D? Why we got to do that? Well, Scripture says in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. I actually like the King James version of this, and it says, without vision, the people will perish. Another pastor once said it this way, and you've heard me say this, that vision leaks. Vision leaks, which means that we commonly forget why we're doing what we're doing, which becomes problematic because that leads to burnout. It leads to a lack of zeal. And next thing you know, you're just, you're just going through the motions. You're just, you're just doing something to be doing. And we all been there before. How many of y'all been just walking through the motions before? And we do this in relationships. We do this in our marriages. We do this with our kids. How many of y'all walk through the motions in your job before? Come on. You can be honest. Your boss ain't here. Unless you're on staff at Renewal. Uh, We've just walked through the motions before, right? We've all been there. And and the sad thing is that this happens all too often in the church. We just walk through the motions and we just keep doing the same thing. And now coming out of a pandemic, this lack of vision, this lack of zeal, in my opinion, is at an all-time high. It's at an all-time high in church and our relationship Uh, with others has become simply optional. We just choose to do it or we choose not to do it. I've said this week in and week out, we've gotten used to just being comfortable in our homes, comfortable with uh, not having to respond to someone or 
or, or not be controlled by someone or, or not do this when somebody asks for it. And, and family, I'm going to be honest, like us being out of community, not being intentional relationships, this isn't healthy. It's not healthy. We were made in community of the Trinity, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which also means that we were made for community. Made in community, in the image of God, but also made for community, which means that we all need each other. We're not meant to be alone. And even more than that, we need to know God. As image bearers, we need to know God in order to know ourselves. We can't know who we truly are if we're formed and shaped in his image if we don't know him. So for some of us, this may be your first time being in church ever. Someone in here, this may be your first time being back in a long time. Or just me, maybe your first Sunday in person again. We are essentially replanting or restarting a church with 400 or so people that really don't know each other. I'm going to be honest. I, I really don't know none of y'all. I mean, I love y'all, but I, the reality is that it, I, half of y'all I don't know without a mask on. And you take the mask, I'm like, oh, that's what you look like. And I'm not trying to make a joke. I really just don't know that's what you look like. And, and it's, it's hard for me. Somebody's like, what's up, Pastor D? I'm like, what's up? I don't know you, but I love you. <laughs> I want to get to know you. And so we're walking into this weird and awkward kind of space and sometimes daunting and overwhelming because we don't know everybody. It's tough. I say all that to say, because this isn't just our church. This is the Big C Church. I really believe it's time for the church to press reset and reimagine the church again. So today, that's what I want to speak about. I'm going to read a text that some of you have heard me talk about the last couple of weeks at Lead the City and even as members last week. It's Acts 2.42. This is a, a text that uh, we planted our church around and we thought about. And um, really in this season, we just need to get back to the basics. And so we're going back to Acts 2.42. I'm going to read one verse. Y'all can stand with me. And I, I, we're, I really, we're going to read this together, actually. So you can look at the screen if you don't have a Bible. We also have Bibles outside if you... If you need a Bible and you do not have a Bible, we want you to have a Bible. So if you don't have one, that's your Bible to take home. Um, That's our gift to you. We have a lot of them. So if you need a Bible, it's yours. Acts 2 to the apostles. We're going to read this together. So read it with me. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Very words of God. Our vision this fall is... To reset and reimagine. Reset and reimagine. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. God, I, I do thank you for your word that's sharper than a double-edged sword that can pierce to the heart of the enemy, but also at the same time mold and shape ours. God, I do ask, I mean, I'm humbled just to be called according to your purpose as I stand on the stage and I pray every week. I do ask, God, that you would hide me behind your cross. Decrease me so that you may increase. Let it not be my words, God, but your words for your people. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. We need you. We all pray in the name of Jesus and say amen. Amen. You can be seated. 
Well, I shared with some of our members last week, uh, when I thought about these words, reset and reimagine, uh, I looked up the definitions of reset and reimagine and reset. It gave me this definition. Listen to these words. It says, to set again. It's like resetting a broken bone. I've broken both of my wrists. I've dislocated my elbow twice, and each time they had to reset it in order for it to heal the right way. Second meaning, it says to change the reading of or reset a clock. It's like when you lose electricity in your house and the power goes out and you got to reset all the clocks in your house. Third one says to adjust the interest rate of a loan according to the contractual arrangement as at the end of a preset term. Uh, let me see. I, I want to make this plain to you guys. So uh, let me see how old some of you are Nintendo. How many of y'all remember playing Nintendo? Some of y'all lying. Y'all don't even know what Nintendo is. Nin- Nintendo. How many Ataris? Oh, man. Okay. All right. Let me look. Super Nintendo. How about Sega Genesis? Sega. Y'all remember that stuff, man? Hey, playing these video games, old school games. The, I'm talking about the joints where you had to like... Like blowing it, and, and that didn't do nothing. It found out that actually made it worse. You, you, you kicking the machine and stuff. You trying to get it to work. And The worst thing about these video games is when you're playing them, and in the middle of the game, you're playing, and Luke Kang's like, he just pauses. Like the whole game shuts down. And you, you, you're like, what, what am I supposed to do right now? Everything in your heart just kind of stops. I, and for me, I, I, I'm going to be honest, like I, I'm the type of guy, I really have a hard time like starting stuff and not finishing it. And, I, and when, I, when I do it, I want to do it really well. I want to beat it all. I want to beat the game. And so as a child, I would be sitting up late at night, sometimes like two in the morning, just playing the game, whatever it is, NBA Jam or uh, uh, Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter, Mario, all of that stuff. I'm just trying to play it, and I, I'm up all night, and then all of a sudden, it's just, it just, it pauses, and my heart literally stops, y'all. I'm going to be honest. I don't cry too much, <laughs> but I've shed, I've shed some tears over some video games. And I, funny thing is, my little man, he's like four years old right now, and he, he can get so into the game, and when he doesn't play, beat it or win it, he just starts crying. And my wife's like, what's wrong with him? I'm like, he just like me, that's all. <laughs> he's, he's just like me. We, we just got to win. We got to win. But it's the worst thing when the, when the game just, just pauses on you, and, and, and you're like, man, I was almost there. I, I, I thought I was going to beat the game. And all of a sudden, it, it just pauses and... Everything stops. And it's in that moment, the only thing you can do is press reset. As hard as it is, reset the game and start over. But see, here's the thing. Even though you reset the game, you still remember how to play it. Mm, y'all missing this thing. So although you press reset, you still remember how to play it, which means that you might do it better than you did the last time. And you actually, Jay, you might beat the game faster this time. See, you still remember, although you had to 
press reset. Family, what I'm trying to say is it's time for us to reset and be the church again. Let me keep going. I looked up the word reimagine and it gave me this meaning to produce a film or television show that it's a remake of an earlier version, but which approaches the story from a refreshed or new viewpoint. Another definition is, is to imagine again or do it in a different way. See, what both of these definitions are dealing with it, when they talk about reimagining is getting at this idea or, uh, of reimagining. What, what it means is to take something that, that, that has already been established, something that's already been thought of, and now you think of it or do it in a different way. But the original concept, the original thing, it, it's still the same thing. Uh, we, we, we see this uh, in movies. In essence, what, what, you're, what you're looking at, I don't want y'all to miss this. What, in essence, what you're seeing is that the, the original concept, it, it, may, it may change or we do it in a different way, but it, it's still the same thing. You, you've seen this in movies like with remakes of Disney. You got Disney movies now that are all like human characters. I, I'm still stuck on the cartoons. We, but you got human characters. You got the uh, new karate coming out um, on, on Netflix, Miyagi and, and Daniel LaRusso. They, didn't, they made the, uh, what's the new joint coming out um, on, on Netflix? They got the whole Cobra Kai and stuff. And, and you see the whole takes on, or you got the new karate kid now with, with, with uh, Jaden Smith, and where who barely can stretch, you know? You got, all, you got all of this stuff. See, I still like the old joints, and you got remakes of songs that are, that are new uh, versus the, the old song. But what you see is that the, the first idea or the first concept, it's still kind of the same thing. They just they, they put some, some spices in it. They made it a, a little different, but it's still the same. See, the problem here is that you see resetting and you see reimagining all the time in the marketplace. I mean, you see in the boardrooms, they come together and Nike's got a new campaign, a Reebok or something like that. And they're, they're figuring out how to do this. Apple's coming out with a new iPhone every year. It's how do we, how do we reset and reimagine? This happens in the art industry where someone can dress some way 10 years before it actually becomes popular. You're, they're just always ahead of the game, resetting and reimagining. But the sad thing is this doesn't happen in the church. We get so stuck in, in where we've always been. That, that's my seat. That, that's where I sit on Sunday. That's where I'm going to sit every week. I, I, I like when this song is, is, is it's saying this way, and that's the only way I want to hear it saying we, we just stay steady in the same place. And what ends up happening, the problem is, is that people that come in that are new, they ain't like that. And so they, they come one Sunday or two Sundays, and then they don't come back. People start searching for something new outside of the Bible, outside of church, because we stay stagnant. We stay in the same place instead of moving forward and resetting and, and reimagining. See, what I'm trying to get at is that the church has to remain itself. We need to hold tightly to what the Bible calls us to be a church, but in tangent or intention. But see, instead, ask the question, well, what does that look like today? But see, instead, the church is commonly 10 steps behind. We're always trying to catch up with culture. And please don't hear me saying that I'm, I'm about to start preaching messages that, that are not biblical, and, and I, I'm going to change the, the name of the church to something real cool, like the best church ever. 
no, I, I'm not, we're not going to make it just more palatable here. Uh, lights, camera, action, all that stuff. It, it, no, no, no. What I'm, what I'm really saying is that we got to take this age-old call of making disciples, being committed to the fellowship, the apostles' teaching, and prayer. And we got to ask, well, what does that look like today? Who are we fellowshipping with? Who's coming into the body with us? What does the world look like? We got to ask these questions. We as a church need to reset and reimagine because if we don't, we're going to see more and more people falling away from the faith. We'll see more and more people or more and more false truths popping up. We'll see more and more churches sadly turning to condos, shutting their doors. If we don't reset and reimagine, people will find truth someplace else. It's time to reset, reimagine. In light of a Hispanic Heritage Month, I read this article the other day. I read a lot of the news. As a preacher, you got to have the news in one, page, one hand, the Bible in the other. You got to just stay with the times. And I, I, I read this article about a young man. He was 22 at the time. His name was Ed Daniels. And then I, there was another man by the name of Guillermo Diaz. He's 56 years old. Guillermo owned a pizza shop. And one day he was out in the middle of the winter in 2013. And he up next to Guillermo. They all pizzas. And Ed and his friends, they, they pulled up next to Guillermo. They all jumped out the car, and they proceeded to beat him down. Took all his money and left him out in the cold there to die. Now, Ed was arrested later that night, and he sat in his jail cell, and he couldn't shake it. He kept thinking, like, did we just kill somebody? Is the man still alive? And what he didn't know is that Guillermo actually survived, and he proceeded to not press charges on Ed. Now, here's where the story got interesting for me. Because now, after Ed's release from prison, they, they put them in something called a peace circle. Have y'all ever heard of this before? It's a peace circle where uh, it's a part of a restorative justice program. And through the program both of their lives were impacted. Come to find out, at one point, Ed was a standout football player here throughout Chicago. He was known all over the place. He also was a man who loved this community. He would do anything for the person next to him. And see, all that changed really quickly. And this is where it, was, it, it really eerily impacted me in a way because uh, he, he was in college, and he's training for the NFL Combine, and he has a parachute tied to his back, and he's, he's, he's catching footballs, and at one point, he jumps to catch a football. And when he lands, he breaks his tibia, breaks his fibula, dislocates his ankle, and fractures his knee. Needless to say... His career was over. But this led him on a downward spiral in his life to where he now didn't care about anybody else in his life because the one thing that he loved was taken from him, which led to that robbery that night. But unbeknownst to him, it would change his life. 
After the robbery, he ended up volunteering at the pizza shop. He had to volunteer at this pizza shop with Guillermo, and, and even he, he even did this long after he was told he had to. Uh, Ed became fond of Guillermo. He, he stated in the article, he, he was the grandfather that everybody wanted in the neighborhood and needed. The two went on to establish a father-like, father-and-son-like relationship, and Guillermo allowed Ed to see that there was more to life than just football. Ed's life was changed through one interaction, and now he owns several businesses, and he gives free haircuts to any man in need in the neighborhood. Now, I know you're probably asking, well, what does this have to do with what we're talking about today? Well, just in case you missed it, this is a story of two men where one man, he took a situation and he essentially pressed reset by not pressing charges. And he reimagined a relationship with a young boy at the time. And it changed his life. What I'm trying to tell you today is that if Guillermo, who was beaten badly and left for dead, can press reset and begin to reimagine a relationship with his enemy, then I believe the church of Jesus Christ, who claims that Jesus is Lord and Savior, who was beaten badly, bruised and murdered and hung on a cross for our transgressions, can simply press reset and begin to reimagine what life in church looks like after a pandemic, y'all. It's time to reset and reimagine. It's since us to dream again. It's time to be the church again. It's time for us to dream again. It's time for us to love again. It's time for us to fellowship again. It's time for us to eat together again. It's time for us to pray. Shall I keep going? It's time for us to be the church again. And things may look different. It's not going to ever look the same exactly. But I don't believe that God is done yet. I don't believe that God is done saving. He's not done with his church. There's still more people outside of these doors that need to hear about hope. There's still more people that need to hear about love, joy, peace, satisfaction, and fulfillment. And guess what? All of that comes through the church of Jesus Christ. He's not done yet. Scripture says, Romans 10, 14 through 15, I love this. It says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Friends, it's time to reset and reimagine the church. It's time for all of us to be the church again. God is not done yet. In fact, I always say this. I believe that God is just getting started with what he's doing here with this church. So what I want to do is I want to briefly talk about what that looks like as we walk through Acts 2. What does it look like for us to be the church again? And my hope is that each one of us in here will jump all the way in as we press reset and begin to reimagine this fall. As I walk through this text, I, my prayer for you all is that 
you would start thinking about what's the next step in your walk with Jesus? What's the next step for you? How, how do you be the church with us? How, what's the next step? Except in his love, has been Jesus as your Lord and Savior for the first time. Except in his love, his joy, his, his, his affirmation, his approval. For some of us, it's jumping into a group in your neighborhood. You need to sign up today. Be in fellowship and community. For some of us, you need to lead a group. You, you're, you're denying it. You're not taking that next step. It, it, it's the next step for you. For some of us, you need to trust God with your finances and give. We've been in a pandemic and you've just been hoarding. It's time to stop consuming and giving. We got to give. For some of us, it's time to be present again. What's the next step for you? Some of you need to start a ministry. Be very innovative. Think about the next step you need to take in your Christian walk. That's where I want you to think. So what I want to do is I want to walk through Acts 2 as we press reset and reimagine the church. The immediate context around uh, this verse of Scripture. Jesus has just ascended to heaven. Uh, and before that, he gives the disciples uh, the tall task. He says, take the, the gospel to the other ends of the world. I want you to make disciples of all nations. And then he ascends to heaven. And then Peter, he stands up on the mountain, the greatest sermon ever preached, I'm guessing, because afterwards 3,000 people get saved. I ain't never seen nothing like that. I mean, 3,000 people get saved after he preaches this sermon. And they all devote themselves to four things. And you talk about revival? I mean, can y'all picture that? He preaches a sermon, and 3,000 people get saved, accept Christ, and they're baptized? That's what it looks like. That's amazing. And then they devote themselves to four things. Apostles teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Listen to me. If we want to reset and reimagine the church, that involves us devoting ourselves to the same things. The apostles teaching... The fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. So what I want to do is I want to break these down really quickly, and I want to give you a picture in your mind of what we should be practicing as disciples of Christ, as followers of Jesus, if we want to be the church he's called us to be. The word devotion. Everyone say devotion. The word devotion in this text means to intentionally obscure self-designation. It really just means to remove yourself. It's not about you anymore, but it's about God and it's about his church. In other words, I love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and my strength, and I love my neighbor as myself. It's not about you anymore. Verse 42 begins by saying, first they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is really the teachings of Jesus throughout his life and the 40 days of his resurrection. They simp this simply means that these people here in the text, they wanted to be. Now, let me say that. They wanted to be discipled. They wanted to be poured into. They weren't forced. They weren't begged to come to church. They weren't begged to come to this small group. They wanted to be poured into. They wanted to know Jesus more. These men and women were fat, bro. They was fat. Y'all think I'm talking about weight, don't you? Faithful, available, and teachable. 
wanted to learn. Now, I don't claim to be a modern-day apostle or anything like that, but God has called me to lead this church. He's called me to lead this church, which means that he's entrusted you all underneath me as your leader and visionary of this church. And I don't take that lightly. I love you all. I care for you all. Care for the staff that cares for you too. All of that. God has entrusted you under my leadership as your pastor here. And I care about you and your journey with Jesus way more. I'm going to say this a lot in this church. I care way more about your journey with Jesus and your relationship with him than I do you sitting in this church. And so that means... As I'm preaching, as I'm leading this church, as I'm leading us in a, in a direction, and you, you may have an issue with me or some Steve says or some, somebody else, it's not that you can't have a conversation with us or anything like that. We're open to that. But the reality at the end of the day, it, it, this just may not be the church for you. And that's okay. That's okay. I want to help you find that church. And I don't say that to be mean. I know you're like, what is he talking about? I don't say that to be mean, but I want you to be in a place where you can trust the leadership. You can trust the vision of the church because when you do, you can jump all the way in and you will willingly give of your time, talent, and your treasure. Not because someone's asking you. You just want to be there. You're bought in. That's what we see in Acts chapter 2. Hear me. Churches can't move forward. If we just got one foot in and one foot out, we got to be all the way in. Some of y'all missing this thing. How many of y'all been to a pool this summer? All right, y'all ain't going to raise your hand. How many of y'all been to a pool at all in your, at any time in your lifetime? <laughs> On a hot day, you've been to a pool before, right? And when you get to the pool and you, you come in and you... You got your shirt on, my men, and women, you got your nice wraps on, and you get, you're like, I want to get into the pool, so you take it all off, and what's the first thing you do? You go up, and you, you, you test the water, right? You, you, put, you put your toe in the water, because you want to you wanna feel the temperature, right, Rob? You, you put it in there, and then you, once you feel it, because it's hot outside, you're like, oh, it's kind of cold, so you back up a little bit, and you're like, ooh. Got to get ready. I got to contemplate. You're contemplating, should I get in the water? You know, maybe I should just keep putting my fuse to this water, Jay. What, what do I do? I mean, because it, it's cold, and, you know, maybe I should just keep putting my foot in the water. Maybe I, should, ah, maybe I, ah, but I don't know about that. Or, or maybe, maybe I should just jump in. Ooh. It's a little cold. And after all this contemplation, you really come to the realization, well, the only way I'm going to get acclimated to this water is if I jump in. That's the easiest and the fastest way for me to get acclimated to this water. Because if I keep on putting my toe in here, you can put it in as much as you want, but your body is not going to get used to the water unless you, you jump in. And see, what I'm trying to get at is that there are too many of us out here that we just putting our toe in the water of the church putting our toe in the water of the church and we can't move forward because you ain't jumped in. Here's the reality. I can't do nothing with your toe. I need all of you to jump in. And here's the reality. When we all jump in together, guess what? We get used 
to the water together. Oh, we're walking out of this pandemic, y'all. It's a lot of things that we need to get used to. And guess what? When we, oh, when we jump in, we can get used to it together. But I know why only some of y'all clap, because we got used to the cruise ship Christianity. Where we just, you know, we are sitting at our houses, and we, we're just listening to the sermon. And we're like, oh, that was good. You got your breakfast, and you like, that was really good. Oh, man, D said something. Oh, Steve, oh, he was in on that sermon. And you just eating your breakfast. See, we got used to cruise ship Christianity. Well, we just consume. And that has never been the church. See, the church is more like a battleship where we put our hands to the plow. This is battleship. We are all the work of the ministry together. See, this ain't cruise ship Christianity. This is battleship. We are all on the front lines walking into a place that we ain't never been before. And we can't do it with one toe out here doing a stanky leg and you can't even do it right. One toe in. We got to jump in together. And we can get used to it together as we reset and reimagine the church. We can't move forward. The second thing these new believers devote themselves to is a fellowship. Now, this word fellowship in the Greek is pronounced koinonia, which means common ownership. It's, it's the sharing with someone or Something. They, they shared a common spirit with one another. These people in our text come from many different cultural backgrounds. They got many different languages that they all speak. Very different from one another. But they're still able to come together around one common person. I just said they, they jumped all the way in. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They're all the way in. They're fat believers. But now, they're different. Come from all different places. So not only are they devoted to the apostles' teaching, the leadership, and fat, but yet they're able to come together. This it still boggles my mind when I think about this. You got to think about this. Three thousand people. When you do the, the the study around it, they all didn't come from the same place. They didn't speak the same language. They're all different. But they're able to come together. How is that? They come together around one common person. Jesus. I, and I love that the first church is multi-ethnic, multicultural, and a diverse church. I think it's safe to say that there is a biblical precedent for diversity within the church, whether that's race, economics, or politics. But the question is, why can't we do this today? So we got to ask the question, are we faithful, available, and teachable? But then we got to ask, well, why? We can't even get to this part because I, I, I'm not even following the leadership. But then it's like, well, 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 
Why can't I do church with everybody else? See, what's keeping us divided? Now, there's many issues that we can talk about. And we could talk about the racist past here in America, which did happen, where black people weren't even allowed in white churches. We can talk about that. We can talk about Jim Crow and all these things that lead up to this moment where churches like this did not happen. But what I want to submit to you today is that the reason we have a problem with coming together today is that somewhere along the line, our motivation became less about Jesus and more about me. What's in it for me? See, Jesus isn't at the center anymore. It goes back to our understanding of devotion, which is to intentionally obscure self-designation. But instead of that understanding, our American ideals begin to usurp our Christian identity. And now it's less about Jesus and it's more about me. In essence, I'm not coming to give anymore. I just want to consume. Give. That's what we, we don't consciously say it out loud, but it's what can I consume instead of what can I give? What can I receive? We, 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 we say things like this, and you got to say it in this voice. Well, I don't like the worship there. <laughs> it's, it's too contemporary. Oh, my gosh. It sounds like a bonfire. It's, it's too liturgical. And, oh, they just, they just, they don't pray enough for me. Mm-mm. They ain't spiritual enough. I don't even know the spirit in there. I can't, I don't know what, it, it ain't enough people in there that look like me. They don't sound like me. It, it's too big. It's too small. Just complaining. Go on somewhere. <laughs> but what's happening is that it's become more about me instead of Jesus. He's no longer the motivation. Now, hear me. There's nothing wrong with your preference. You can have preferences, all of that. But your preference should never outweigh your love for Jesus. What am I saying? These people in the text, all 3,000 plus of them, they never say one thing about their own desires. I mean, you keep reading it. It's not. Although they're different. I mean, can you imagine 3,000 people, all these differences, but yet they're able to move forward? The reason they're able to go forward is because Jesus is where he's at the center of everything that they do. This sets a precedence for us as we look at these folks in the text and we say, well, what is it that holds us together? Why do we fellowship? Is it Jesus? Is it the color of my skin? Is it my preference? I like the worship. I don't like the worship here. This had to be hard. All these different cultures coming in. Is that the, but the reason they're able to fellowship is because Jesus is at the center. Ask yourself, is Jesus at the center of why I fellowship? What motivates me to fellowship? These people devoted themselves to the fellowship, true fellowship, no matter what their background was, 
or their preference. Are we that devoted to fellowship? We got to be if we want to reset and reimagine the church. Third thing they devote themselves to after, are they fat believers and devoted to the apostles' teaching and then to the fellowship? They devote themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, the breaking of bread can be broken down into two ideas. One, churches partake in communion every week. We do that here every week, and that's that part of the breaking of the bread where we, we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, where he died, he was buried, and then he got up from the grave. We celebrate that together. The second meaning here it involves allowing others into your personal space. It's the literal eating of meals at dinner tables in your homes and in, in larger settings outside of the church. Did you know that God is glorified by you eating meals with other people? Did you know that he was glorified by you celebrating other people and what they've accomplished in their lives and having them at your table or doing events and things like that for one another? And the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we doing this? Who's eating at your dinner table? night after night. Is it the same people? Or are you letting new people fellowship with you and sit and eat with you at your dinner table? And I know, I know, some of y'all are like, well, we just got out of COVID, Pastor D. And Steve just said it. Y'all go everywhere else. You at the playpen and y'all in the party and y'all water. I mean, y'all show it all on Instagram. I just, I just be looking. I'm sorry. But all of that, it's like you, you do everything else. We just got to be intentional. Right? We've got to be more intentional. Lives, listen to me, are changed around dinner tables. Not just in church listening to a sermon. My life and my understanding of a family was changed sitting at a dinner table night after night with my mentor, CJ, and his family and watching him love on his five kids and love on his wife and then walking through the Bible with me and then playing basketball with him day after day and going on errands and runs with him. And then after that, when I moved to Memphis and lived with Brian Loritz, my pastor, and I sit at his dinner table with his family and my family, and I get to watch him day in and day out, travel with him, ride to work with him every day and watch him love on his three sons. That's where my my life was really changed, family. And then guess what? After watching these two men love on their family, I get to welcome people into my house too. And they sit at my dinner table and they get to see me do that with my five kids and my wife. And their lives are changed now by sitting at my dinner table. Let me ask you, are you opening up your homes to other people? Are you breaking bread? with other people. How many Derek Puckets have sat at your table and experienced life change by simply eating a meal with you? Are we breaking bread with others? That's the call here. And if we want to see the church reset and reimagine This has to be a desire of ours and something we do just as we see them do in the text. Last thing these new believers devote themselves to was prayer. Pray to God, which revolved around meeting in houses and in temples. 
They, they prayed to God. And they, they begged for him to move. I mean, could you imagine this? I need you to just get this picture in your mind. I mean, 3,000 people. I mean, I, I just like to think of them on their hands and knees just, just asking the Lord to move. Move in only a way that you can. I mean, these people, they don't really even know anything. They're new to the faith. But they know how to pray. Lord, we need you. We've just experienced something miraculous, and our lives have changed. We want everybody's life change, life change because we've experienced the love, the joy, the satisfaction, and peace that they, that they need. Impact the world, God, and use us for your glory. Could you imagine these prayers? They prayed and literally turned the world upside down, which is why we're all sitting here today. Hear me. True disciples are known for their prayer life. Are you a person that's known for prayer? We just preached on this the last couple weeks. Do you talk to your daddy? These folks in our text, they pray, and the gospel goes to the other ends of the world. What I'm trying to say is that there's power in prayer. I remember when we, when we planted this church, it was just a big hope and a dream for Kaylee and I. It just existed in our hearts, really. Uh, we were thinking of this and dreaming of it way back in 2010, and it was a really far-out dream, and I say that because I didn't really know anybody that had ever planted a church. I planted, and we had a specific church we had in mind, wanted to plant a multi-ethnic gospel disciple-making church in Chicago. I didn't know anybody that had done that, especially a black guy. And so it was something bigger that we could ever imagine, and we just prayed and we, we, we trusted God. And we ended up moving to Memphis, Tennessee, and later that year, and we lived with Brian LaRitz, my pastor, uh, because I, I didn't want to just open up a church out of my home and just try to figure it out. I wanted to be discipled. I wanted to be poured into. And so we moved there to learn from them. They had a multi-ethnic church in Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, when we moved there, I started my Master's of Divinity. And upon receiving that uh, Master's of Divinity, I had started a campus there of the church. And we were uh, literally, if I'm honest, we were going to just stay there. We were under contract with a house house that we really loved and we said this is where we're going to be we want to stay in Memphis Tennessee and uh, I remember the day before we were going to close on the house they called and I'm thinking it's the loan officer to say yeah everything's good we're clear to close it's going to work out tomorrow he calls and he says well appraisal fell through some other things are wrong and I don't even know if it's going to work the day before Jay's like that don't happen in Chicago but that that's it happened in Memphis. And I remember that, that Friday, I believe, Kaylee and I sitting there. And I'm like, babe, I don't know what we're about to do. And while we're praying and talking, my friend Aaron Brockett from Indianapolis calls, and he says, hey, you, you still want to plant that church in Chicago? And I'm like, this is crazy. And I said, yeah, man, let's do it. And the dream of planting this church it started to rise up within our hearts and our spirits once more. 
and we just began to trust God for something big again. We moved here in 2013, and we just started hosting gatherings and prayer gatherings in our house. Uh, look at these photos of some of those early gatherings. This is me just praying down, praying over the city and on our vision trips. That's when I was real skinny with my wife, and we only had two kids. And but it's 20, 30 people in the house. We're just praying, thinking about what God could do. That's Steve when he had hair. You know, we we just just thinking about what God could do in this church. His vision and his dream and his prayer started with two. Then we sang hymns and we ate together and fellowshiped. And that became 30 to 40. And then soon after, here you are, and it's almost 400. It started with the prayers of two. Now I need you to think about this. If God can do all of this, with the prayers of two. What could he do with the prayer of 400? What could our church look like? What could our city look like? What could God do if we were truly a people devoted to prayer? I, I like to think the murder rate would be non-existent. Uh, no more fatherless homes. Less injustice and more justice. Less racism. No corruption. I like to think that God could fix all of that through the prayers of 400 people. I like to say that God can move in, in such a way that we could never imagine. What could God do if we devoted ourselves, first humbled ourselves, and said, God, we need you to move in only a way that you can in our midst? Friends, so we got to answer the question, though, what does our prayer life look like? Do you believe that there is power in prayer? We can't begin to reset and reimagine without trust of it. We need you to jump all the way in, trust the vision, trust the leadership, not one toe, but all of you. Be devoted to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I love this passage of Scripture. Right here in Acts 2.42, it encourages me and excites me because I read it, and these are new believers. They have been walking with Jesus for a long time, new believers, who devoted their lives to four areas, the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer, and they turned the world upside down for Jesus. What would it be like if we did the same thing? And see, I say that because in many ways, we're kind of like this, this new church, this, 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 these first believers. They're, they're coming out of this space of Jesus ascending, and they're walking into something they've never seen before. All of us in here, we ain't never walked through a pandemic before. And we're walking into a new space where we got to reset and reimagine, and we get to do that together what could God do? I mean, imagine with me a church that's renewed by the power of the gospel, rebuilt through discipleship and released for city and world impact. God can do that, can't he? Yeah. But here's the thing. A lot of us think that we need to reinvent something. We don't need to reinvent the church. We just need to reset, 
reimagine and get back to the basics. So I end with the same question I started with. What is the next step that you need to take in your Christian walk with Jesus? What does it look like for you to help be the church? So family, what's the next step for you? What do you need to do in your walk with Jesus? How do you help us be the church again? Y'all with me? Let's jump all the way in and get adjusted to the water or the new water, as I should say, together. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Holy and awesome God. Just some short eight years ago, this church was just a dream. And you saw fit to bring hundreds to this place and arguably one of the hardest places to plant a church. Not only that, you brought together people from all these different backgrounds, much like the church in Acts 2. God, here we are walking into a new space, which can be tough, it can be daunting, it can be overwhelming at times. But we know that, that you're not overwhelmed. We know that you're not twiddling your thumbs trying to figure it out. And so, God, we want to follow you. Lead us, God. I also pray for the person that's trying to figure out what's that next step. Maybe it's to jump in, to be a fat person and faithful, available to teach. Or maybe, maybe it's to fellowship and open their house up for dinner or just to be a person committed to prayer, God. Whatever it may be, Lord, help us be you, who you've called us to be. Maybe it's somebody really... You've been tugging on their heart for them to give their life to you. Would you work in only a way that you can? And in the midst of that, Lord, let us trust you. We thank you for what you're going to do, what you've already done. And we thank you that we get to partake in the writing of this story. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we all said together. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.